Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today we're going to do a deep dive on the Chicago Bulls, and I'm here with Mike Catron today. Mike, how are you doing? Uh, Great, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's get started and go right into it. So let's start out by talking about the Bulls' offseason. They had a number of key acquisitions in addition to a big trade for Robin Lopez and Jerry and Grant sending away longtime Chicago star Derek Rose. But the most important acquisition of their offseason, at least in terms of play so far, has been Dwayne Wade. And there was a bit of concern with how Wade would fit in with Jimmy Butler, given that Wade has never really had a three-point shot, and Butler had struggled with his three-pointer at times before last season. How has Wade looked so far in a Bulls uniform? Yeah, uh, it, it was a very weird off season, and uh, really, so far, I don't know if I could ask for more of Wade. A lot of people going into the Bulls season this year were very pessimistic about the Bulls. They're, I don't know if I've seen uh, any more shooting, the amount of shooting jokes that there were about the Bulls' uh, lack of three-point shooting going into this season, and everyone was down on them. And how I saw it, and kind of a lot of people who I know who watched the Bulls saw it, is that the variance of how good they could be was um was pretty high it could, it could they could be a, a solid playoff team or they could be maybe at the bottom of the league and uh, i actually wrote a piece before the uh, for hashtag basketball.com a great plug there i wrote a piece kind of the optimistic view just because there was so much pessimism going around like what would be the optimistic view and it all hinged around Dwayne wade and Dwayne wade being able to play at the level he had really just been playing over the last few seasons and he's been absolutely great not just on the court but i think also off the court as well um it kind of hinged on his ability to you know stay healthy play it at, at a decent clip and be productive which so far he has in the games he plays and you know he's rested a handful of back-to-backs which is to be expected i'm not too concerned about that but um the biggest difference he's made in this team and especially from last year's debacle in the locker room is that i think he's just a great leader uh, I don't think you appreciate Dwayne Wade until you see him up close and personal and on, and he's on your team. But the team's got a completely different demeanor. You can see Jimmy Butler stealing some of his moves. I think Dwayne Wade's even admitted that. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, Dwayne Wade's rubbing off on Jimmy Butler, which is, I think, already helped his game immensely. So I, it was the best move of the offseason by far, which, don't if you ask really anyone you read anywhere, was not expected to happen. Even the Bulls front office assumed it was just a ploy to get Miami to sign him for more money. And they were not expecting this because the rest of the moves they made were not to um, bring in someone like Dwayne Wade at all. Yeah, you talked about Wade's leadership briefly, and I think that's incredibly important to note here. Back when LeBron James came to the Heat in 2010, people said vaguely similar things, interestingly enough, about the fit between Wade and Butler in that Wade was sort of seen as a ball-dominant player and succeeded on offense in similar ways to how LeBron succeeded, but people didn't tend to think about just how great of a leader Wade was and is and has always been, how he led that Miami team to a championship without LeBron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's already taken a step back and shown that he's you know this is jimmy butler's team he's not trying to get in the way of that and he's there to you know in his career back in chicago and kind of teach uh what he can to this team and so far i think it's really the only reason they're uh, this team is playing so well then uh jimmy butler being great yeah the interestingly enough the bulls acquired another maybe larger name player in Rajon Rondo, but Robin Lopez has been probably their second biggest free agent acquisition. He came in in the trade of Derrick Rose, and so far this year he's been very effective as a low-usage center. He's actually near. He's actually near his career high in rebounds per game, despite not playing as many minutes as he did during his career best year in Portland. He's started every game for the Bulls so far, and he's looked like a really valuable complimentary player. 
Yeah, uh, it's always hard to see someone who, like someone like Derrick Rose, who meant so much to the Bulls, no matter how you feel about, uh, you know, his terrible PR that he has uh, with his um, with the people around him. He won an MVP, and he, he we were the best team in the league two years while he was uh, while he was here in Chicago. So it's hard to see someone go like that. But in that trade, I, I really think we got the better end of this deal. Robin Lopez is on a great contract. And he's a starting center in this league. He's not going to dominate games like someone like, uh, you know, DeMarcus uh, Cousins or anything like that. But he's a really good role player. He's a good above average rim protector. And as you can see this year, his reboundings, uh, like you mentioned, his rebounding is out of control right now. He is leading the league currently in contested offensive rebounds. And I believe he is third in just offensive rebounds alone. And when it comes to, you know, a team that doesn't have the shooting, doesn't have the floor spacing, desire to play the new style of basketball that you know the Golden State Warriors basically ushered in that era. You need someone who can get offensive rebounds, and the fact that Robin Lopez is, is thriving in that environment, I don't think is is a fluke. Uh, he has that skill, and his ability to get offensive rebounds has also been critical to a lot of the Bulls' wins. Well, we've been re- out rebounding teams for the most part all year. I think we're second behind Denver in uh, rebounds per game. You talked briefly about Lopez's effectiveness as a rim protector. So far, according to NBA.com's shot tracking data, he is allowing 49.2% on shots six feet or closer to the basket, which is 11.3 percentage points worse than opponents shoot on their shots in terms of league average. And that is huge for this Chicago team, especially with the defensive struggles of their last big-name acquisition, Rajon Rondo. I watched a lot of Rondo on the Kings last season, where he led the league in assists in the most empty way imaginable. I don't think anyone has ever hunted for assists as actively as Rondo, and I don't want to diminish his passing ability because he's an absolute savant on that end of the floor, but his defensive effort and play in general has fallen so far since his heyday in Boston, and last year he at least was able to shoot above league average from three on a decent number of attempts, but... This year, he's down to 32.3% from 36.5% last year, and his field goal percentage is down from 45.4% last year to 397 in 20 games so far this season. Yeah, I think it's fairly obvious that Rondo isn't a great fit for this team and was brought in before Wade was ever a consideration. And even then, it was a question about why they were bringing someone like Rondo in. The contract that he signed is not terrible at all. It's not a ton of money, and they can uh, release him next year. So it was kind of a one-year lease just to see what they had with Rondo. And in all likelihood, they were trying to tank before Wade came in. But Rondo has been, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a huge Rondo fan. I'll never forgive him for throwing Kirk Heinrich into that scoring table uh, during the Boston Bulls series a long time ago with the Baby Bulls. But Rondo's just been... Just someone who can't play in the fourth quarter. His defense has been really, really bad. And I think the only real stabilizing force with Rondo, because he's, I know he's got suspended, and I'm not making a, a one game for throwing a towel at an assistant coach. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of that because, you know, stuff like that does happen. But um, he has a track record of, you know, upsetting coaches, not being easy to work with, not being someone who will buy into a team's. Uh, mantra or what the coach wants and uh, I think a stabilizing force for him has been being surrounded by people like Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler he is not not even close to being the big ticket name on this roster and uh, I think Wade's leadership and the fact that this is Butler's team has at least calmed his nerves there but overall uh, when you look at his defense and and how, how poorly he plays and, you know, he's he's getting assists to the detriment of really winning games when players know he's he's driving the lane to, to, to throw an assist. They play the passing lane, and they get a lot of turnovers of that. And some of our worst games that we've played, you've seen him turn the ball over a ton of times. Basically, by 
players pa- uh, playing the passing lane in uh, in and around the uh, basket when he he takes a drive. He's he's often just passing to uh, guys who are shooting uh, mid-range jumpers like uh, Robin Lopez and Taj Gibson, which are you know not your the best shot on the court, not everyone's favorite analytic shot. So overall, I'm not happy with Rondo. I'm not sure how he can close games moving forward. As you, have you seen, the, the Bulls have had really bad fourth quarters all all throughout this season. I think Rondo's part of that problem, uh, along with some other problems. But yeah, I'm not happy with that Rondo um, signing, even though the, the contract's just fine. All right, let's move from talking about the Bulls offseason to talking about their season so far. And I want to start by going through the rotation. And let's start with the big man rotation. Now, one of the most interesting things for me so far this season is that the Bulls have started Taj Gibson in all of their games. And... Nikola Mirotic, who a lot of people thought might start just to improve the spacing of the Bulls team with non-three-point shooters in Rondo and supposedly Wade coming into the year, Mirotic has played a little under 22 and a half minutes a game, and he's shooting 38.1% from the floor and 28.4% from three. So my question is, would the threat of Mirotic from behind the arc be worth giving him more minutes? Because especially his poor start doesn't bode well, but he also had a very poor start to the season last year and ended up creeping up to almost 40% from three on the year. Yeah, I think you're seeing uh, Nico being as streaky as he as he was last year. And um, this is a pretty big slump, and he does seem to play better when he when he has confidence and I, I do wonder if putting him in the starting lineup would give him a lot of confidence but uh, Taj Gibson has really earned that role the guys I mean here Taj Gibson started a starting role years ago he was supposed to start until uh, Boozer came along and uh, Taj Gibson probably one of my favorite players on the Bulls right now simply because of how hard he works and um, just what he brings to the table when it comes to footwork post moves and and guarding some of the best uh, bigger men and, and wings. He can switch off the wings every once in a while. And uh, which Nico is just, he isn't that defensive presence that Taj is. Though I think Nico's defense does get a bad rap. He, he's a pretty s- solid defensive player, just kind of all around. He can't go up against uh, bigger guys, which is why playing up the, him at the four is kind of rough. But playing him at the three has been just horrible. Every, every lineup you look at where he's played where Nico's played the three has not boded well just like he gets blown by on the dribble so even though he does play a decent uh, defense he doesn't match up terribly well uh, outside of a four like a stretch four type of player and that's where him and Taj Gibson kind of butt heads on who's going to get that playing time the Bulls are desperate for floor spacing and I would like to see Hoiberg move uh, Nico into the starting line at some point just to see how it works. He's uh, Hoiberg's been pretty decent in trying different rotations so far this year. And, uh, you know, you got to give him a little leash. This is a, a new team with a lot of different moving parts, and it's going to take a while for teams like that to figure out who they are, the best, uh, you know, rotations to play. And uh, Nico's got to be part of that. Until he can get out of his slump, I, I understand why Taj is starting. But, um, just having the threat out there at least keeps defenses honest about having to guard someone on the perimeter, which opens up the lanes for Wade and, and Jimmy Butler. You talked about Miritich's defense. I think the most interesting thing for me on that end has been that he actually currently has the best defensive rating on the Bulls at 102. But going back to Taj Gibson, I think the biggest part of the Bulls season so far has been how well he and Lopez have played together, which is a bit surprising given that neither of them really has much of even a mid-range jumper, much less a three-point shot. Robin isn't exactly his brother from behind the arc. But the Bulls are currently fifth in the league in terms of fewest opponent points per game, and their defensive rating is also ninth best in the league. And I think a lot of that is down to the front court play of Lopez and Gibson. And the most surprising part about that for me is that 
Hoiberg was brought in as sort of an offensive coach who is expected to bring the pace and space offense that he ran um, that he ran in Iowa to to the NBA. And instead, the Bulls are 21st in pace and 22nd in points per game. And really, a lot of their success has been driven by their defense. And I think a lot of that success comes down to the play of Lopez and Gibson, and particularly to their play together. Yeah, and all, the Bulls are also one of the, the, the whole pace and space from Hoiberg. They're also one of the lowest uh, attempts at, at three-pointers per game as well in the league. And um, it's... It's, I think, simply Hoiberg adjusting to the, the roster that he has. It's not uh, their their best lineup with Taj and and uh, Lopez being in isn't a three point shooting lineup. And the fact that they clogged the lane from just where they play positionally when it comes to um, with them playing on the offense and Wade and and Butler have at, Butler playing very well this year have both thrived in a in a, a very tight space. Uh, where their bigs are not really helping them out by staying out of the lane. Um, it's, it's it's kind of impressive that they're playing this well, all things considered. I know there's been a, a few really bad stinkers of games, but um, I've, I've liked the way Taj and Robin Lopez play together. They hit the boards pretty hard, which is always a, a stat that helps you win games. And their mid-range games are not, um, they're not Joakim Noah's mid-range game, in all respect to uh, Joakim Noah, one of the favorites of all time. But Joe Kimno couldn't shoot a mid-range jumper. Lopez and Gibson do need to be closed out on when they are shooting mid-range jumpers. But if you if you also look, I forget where I saw this stat, but I'm looking for it right now. The Bulls give uh, up the almost the, the least amount of uh, free throw attempts per game, and I think that does come to the fact that both Taj and Robin Lopez, the way they protect the rim. And the way they play defense, they don't get a lot of fouls. They don't give easy free throws to other teams. And they, they play the game pretty upright. So those those free points that you get, other teams aren't getting that against the Bulls. And that's giving them at least um, an edge in that game when they're not when the Bulls are not really beating anyone when it comes to three-point shooting. Before we move into the wing and guard rotation, I just want to really quickly talk about who the fourth big might be for the Bulls between Bobby Portis and Cristiano Felicio. Bobby has been a little bit better on the offensive end. He's actually currently tops on the Bulls in terms of three-point percentage, and he's shooting a little over two attempts per game. But he struggled on defense throughout his career, and particularly this season, and Felicio has been better on that end. He's a bit better of an athlete. But just in terms of going forward, do you think Portis will get more minutes just because he can shoot that three-point shot? Sorry, I said two, little over two attempts per game. He's actually at 0.5 attempts per game. I was looking at per 100 possessions, mm-hmm. not per game. Oops. Yeah, uh, Portis doesn't get enough uh, playing time, uh, for, I guess, for that many shots per game. But um, I, This is kind of weird because the Bulls... Are a weird mismatch team of guys who are veterans, who are skilled, who you know what you're going to get out of them, and a bunch of guys you don't. Uh, a lot of guys who need to prove themselves, Bobby Portis and uh, Felicio being two of those guys. Right now, I think, you know, Bobby Portis, he was drafted in high rounds. He does have the range, which is kind of where the, the league's going. It is a skill that the, the Bulls need. But if you watch Bobby Portis play, he's completely lost on him. He often is part of uh, runs uh, against the Bulls where their other team's second team will just be scoring in droves and will lose leads or will just be getting blown out. And, and Bobby Ports is often part of those lineups where he's just completely lost on his rotations on defense and he can't stay in front of guys. He can't body up on bigger dudes. So when it comes to winning games, Cristiano Felicia is just the better player. At this point in his in their careers, I see maybe utilizing the Windy City Bulls, our D League affiliate, uh, to give Bobby Portis a lot more playing time and a lot more practice because you got to fi- eventually figure out who uh, Bobby Portis is. But Felicio is just a much better uh, player when it comes to when it comes to defense, and he's a really good pick and roll guy, which helps uh, him play with Waiter or Butler if they're overlapping first and second teams. He's got pretty decent footwork for a guy his size. Uh, I think he closed out on a three-point shot 
and the guy gave uh, just last night against the the T Wolves, and uh, I think the guy gave him a one of the T Wolves gave him a pump fake, and he only half bit on it and was able to kind of maneuver his way out of the way to not foul him. I was like, that's a pretty. I had to go make sure that was Felicio doing that. That's a pretty uh, athletic move, agile move for a guy who's who's a he's a big boy. He's he's a pretty big guy. So if we want to start winning, continuing to win games right now, I think Felicio has to be part of that second team. All right, uh, all right. Let's move into the wing and guard overview. So the most important part of their wing and guard play we already talked about briefly, which is the Dwayne Wade Jimmy Butler interplay. And Wade said early on in training camp that this was Jimmy Butler's team and he was going to let it be Jimmy Butler's team. And to that effect, uh, Jimmy is averaging exactly 0.5 field goal attempts per game more than Wade. But he's scoring almost 26 points a game, Butler is, and Wade is just a hair under 20 points. Um, They're second and third on the team, respectively, in assists. And they are first and second in steals. And they have managed to fit together incredibly well, despite the fact that a lot of the talk coming into the season was just making fun of the Bulls for trying to fit together a combo of Butler, Wade, and Rondo when none of them could shoot from behind the arc. And Butler and Wade have been right around average from three this season. Rondo, not so much, but I think that's... (laughs) Not as much uh, an issue of the interplay between them as just the fact that Rondo has not had a solid start to the season. But what are your thoughts on how Butler and Wade have been able to play together and off of each other rather than just sort of being <laughs> separate isolation type players? Um, I've, I've liked the way I, I've seen them play. I think going into this year and everybody talking. Um crap about how nobody can shoot and they're the worst uh, shooting for the league and Wade and Butler are, are, are great three-point shooters. It seemed like every team would just play off of them and just sit in the paint and wait for them to do something. But when you have guys who are as good as Butler and Wade, you have to guard them. You you can't just sit back off them like you can with Rondo almost at all times. Both Wade and Butler do... Uh, are able to get in the lane, they're able to get around people, but they're also able to find open people. They are kind of uh, true combo guards where they can they can run point, they can run the offense. And both of them have been pretty effective at that. Uh, going into the season, I, I kind of said that they, they should probably stagger those guys simply because they do play the, a very similar type of game. And in fourth quarters, both of them do tend to... Uh, revert back to their isolation only type of I'm gonna I'm gonna win this with a hero ball type play and that's I think that's hurt the Bulls in the fourth quarter but at, at some points during the some of our better wins you can see both of them playing off each other um, being able to find open guys and making the extra pass and I, I don't think there is a is a is a detriment to play both of those guys together which a lot of people thought it would because they both need the ball in their hands to score. They both can score and get open without the ball in their hands as well. That's why they're who they are and how they've got to this level. Um, it's it's Rondo who has the ball in his hands, who needs the ball in hand to be completely productive. And he's, uh, to me, the detriment more than um, than Wade or Butler. It's those two guys are our best two players, so um, I, I don't see a problem with playing them together. Yeah, I noted that the disparity between Butler and Wade's uh, field goal attempts per game is quite small, but one thing that is important to note on that is Butler has averaged almost double the number of free throw attempts that Wade has per game, so it's not like Wade is you know taking as many shot attempts as Butler. Butler's just been very good at getting to the line. He's at nearly 10 free throw attempts per game, and he's hitting 89% of them, and that has been huge for the Bulls' offense. But moving on to some of the wings and guards that are sort of further down the rotation, Doug McDermott has been 
solid for the Bulls offensively this year, but not in the way that I expected. He's at 48.5% from the field overall, but he's only at 31% from three-point range. That has been his calling card for his early NBA career. Has not been as much so this season. Is he just slumping from three, or do you think that might have something to do with uh, him sort of coming back from that second concussion, not entirely himself? Yeah, he has spent in basically half the season. He's only played 12 games this season, so with a sample size that small, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to uh, go after Doug's uh, three-point shooting percentage just yet. He's shooting 48%. Uh, really, the problem, the problem with Doug is that the rest of his kind of game doesn't peter out. His, his, he's almost non-existent when it comes to steals and assists. He needs to be able to hit three-point shots at a regular basis to be valuable on the court. And uh, if he's, you know, if he's not, he needs to shoot more three-pointers. He's settling a lot for uh, long twos coming off of screens or coming off of curls. We do need uh, someone who can shoot, someone who can who can play that role. But spreading the um, the floor out is his real value when it comes to to offense and hitting those open threes. Because if you spread that floor out, you get Wade and Butler. They're able to get to the get to the rim. They're going to able to get into the paint. And the defense has to make a decision whether they, they close out on Doug or they um, stay in the lane to allow um, to stop Jimmy Butler or Dwayne Wade from scoring. Uh, I, I, Doug's got to continue to get a chance here. One of his uh, biggest detriments is his defense, and he's been working really, really hard on uh, trying to be a better defender. But almost, I would say, 80% of the time I see Doug playing, the team immediately goes into a uh, – isolation of whoever Doug is guarding, or they'll run a pick and roll to get Doug on a bad matchup, and then they'll just go straight at Doug over and over again until the Bulls really have to do something about it. And if Doug can't improve his, his lateral movement and his, his defense abilities enough to stay, on, to stay on the floor to be NBA relevant, all the three-point shooting in the world isn't, isn't going to keep him on the court. Um, if teams can just go right back on the other and attack him. So, speaking of struggling from three-point range, let's go through the remainder of the Bulls guards. Uh, I want to speed it up here. We're running a little bit behind at the moment, but the rest of the Bulls guard rotation, and I guess we can lump Rajon Rondo in here, too. Uh, Rajon Rondo, 32.3% from three. Isaiah Cannon, 26.6% from three. Jerry and Grant, 30.4% from three. And Denzel Valentine, 27.3% from three. So Valentine is playing the fewest minutes per game of any bull that's in sort of the regular active rotation. I'm discounting the 30 total minutes from Paul Zipser and the nine total minutes from RJ Hunter. But of those, of those three bench guards in Cannon, Grant, and Valentine, who do you think is going to get the lion's share of the backup guard time going forward? Well, I, I think when it comes to those three guys, Isaiah Cannon so far has got the bulk of the minutes, and he, if he can't shoot three, so he's got another defensive problem as well. Uh, Jerry and Grant's a little bit better defender, but he's not as good of a shooter. They're all just not perfect players for the Bulls. I would hope um, Hoiberg goes with Denzel Valentine. Uh, he's the youngest, well, yeah, he's probably the youngest out of those guys. He has the length to guard people. He does have range. I have. He has hit um, uh, a couple of really nice threes uh, from distance, and he does when he looks confident, he looks kind of good. I'd like to see Denzel Valentine get a lot more uh, playing time as the, as the season moves on because I think he will be valuable moving forward as someone they can kind of bring in to play with Jimmy and Wade in, in a, basically a non-traditional um, backcourt to um, to allow Rondo to finally sit because no one guards Rondo in the fourth quarter. Um, and we'll see how Michael Carter-Williams fits into all this as well. He just hasn't seen enough playing time to, uh, to understand what he's going to do, but he's not a shooter either. All right, let's move into a quick review of their early season and some of their best and worst games. 
I talked about this briefly earlier, but them being fifth in opponent points per game and ninth in defensive rating is solid and certainly better than I expected from this team coming into the season and after their play last season, which was not top 10 in either of those areas. And their offense has been surprising in that they're only 22nd in points per game, but their offensive rating is actually 12th in the league. And that's mostly due to their slow pace, which we covered briefly earlier. So I guess going forward, which of those do you think is more sustainable between that top 10 level defense or their slightly above average offense? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to have to go with the defense simply because you know, because th- that offense is is very questionable, and it, it lives and and breathes on um, Jimmy's ability to get to the line, and Jimmy's ability to stay healthy, and they're doing that all without um, really having great three point shooting around them. So maybe I should switch my answer to offense, but the rebounding isn't going to go anywhere. The rebounding is completely solid, and Defensive-wise, having Taj and, and Lopez in there, it does give you chances to win games with those guys down low. And Jimmy is still one of the best defenders in the league. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with the defense staying in the top 10 on that one, but um, either one of those is likely to not stick. So in a similar vein, the Bulls are currently fifth in the Eastern Conference, and that comes after barely missing the playoffs last year. So I guess right now the answer would have to be yes, because they are fifth. But for the season as a whole, do you think this is a top five team in the Eastern Conference? Well, we look around the Eastern Conference, like it's not like there is a bunch of superstar teams out in the East. you got Cleveland, and obviously Toronto is pretty good. But the rest of the that group is, is tightly bunched all the way from uh, three through uh, 10, 11. Um, any of those teams could to make a move into going up or down. And I, I like Boston a lot. And then after that, I'm not really sure I can put any other team ahead of Chicago once once you go Toronto and Boston, uh, just in a hypothetical situation. I think the Bulls' talent is better than a lot of these teams. Uh, their potential is better if, our, if the shooting does turn around when it comes to three-point um, percentage-wise. And we've it's been a really weird season. We started out... Uh, either winning or losing blowouts. And then we actually, for the, and I, I wrote a uh, article on hashtag basketball.com about the circus road trip. This was the final circus road trip out west. And we actually came back with a winning record, which has only happened, uh, happened three times since Michael Jordan left the Bulls. So this team isn't, isn't terrible because the, if you watch them eye test wise, they're, they're winning games and they're winning games against teams like Cleveland and the Spurs, um, and then they're turning around and losing to the worst teams in the league, like the Mavs and um, and the uh, the Timberwolves last night. So it's it's, it's hard to say because this is just a very, very strange season so far, but um, looking at the rest of the East, I don't know why they wouldn't be a top five team in the East. Yeah, the separation currently between the third-seeded Charlotte Hornets and the 10th-seeded Milwaukee Bucks is two games. And you talked briefly about some of the Bulls' more interesting up-and-down games this season, so I wanted to use that to transition into talking about their best and worst games so far. And I think the split between the best and worst games for the Bulls is... As big as any team in the league. Yeah, I think we win that. We win that award. Yeah, they on December second they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers one eleven to one oh five, and they managed to do a pretty decent job of containing everyone not named LeBron James in that game. So, what were your thoughts on how they played against their huge? Uh, Central Division rival in Cleveland. Uh, the Bulls always get up for that game, and I I went to that game actually in person, and it was a really fun game to be at, uh, as it always is. And um, in a a former Bull recently said Paul Gasol is that the Bulls always get up for the big games, 
And he's absolutely he's absolutely right about that. Um, I think 538.com did an article about the Bulls. In, since 2012, nine times they have beat a team over whose win percentage is over 600, and then the next game lost to a team that's winning percentage was under 400, in the 400s or somewhere like that. So um, this is kind of atypical for the Bulls. It's been going on for, for many years. Uh, but that, that Cleveland game, what really worked was Rondo was attacking the basket and trying to score. The game is on national television. Rondo is going to play much, much better. That's just how Rondo works. Yeah, this um, was the defining national television Rondo game. Oh, yeah. Puts up a triple-double, and then immediately, you know, next game against Dallas, which we'll go into. You talked about how the Bulls won nine games against 600 teams and then dropped games to, let's say, not as high-quality teams. They lost to Dal- They lost to the Dallas Mavericks, who are currently tied for the worst record in basketball by 25 points it's yeah that was one of the one of the worst games i've seen in in quite a while and coming after the high of of a cleveland game and there's just no excuse and 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 you got to wonder if it's motivation and you have to you have to start looking at the coaching our fourth quarters no matter what kind of game we're in look bad um our our Inbounds plays is to me that's always a, a sign of a good coach is that if you have good inbounds plays or you can steal good about inbounds plays you're a good coach and Hoiberg can't do any of it and so it's got to be a little bit of motivation because obviously they're going to get up for Cleveland they're going to go get up against LeBron Wade's going to get up to go against LeBron Jimmy Butler's going to go get up to go against LeBron but losing to that um, super injured Mavs team, losing to the injured Lakers team, and then losing to the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, just last night or a couple nights ago. Those are just horrible losses that can't happen, that don't happen with a, a very good team. And That just goes to show you this team has got its flaws. And, um, yeah, it's it's got to wrap up the, uh, the fourth quarter problem. I think not playing Rondo in the fourth quarter because – Whoever's guarding Rondo just sits in the paint waiting for Jimmy Butler to drive. It doesn't look like they're running plays in the fourth quarter. It just looks like Jimmy is getting isolated, trying to run a pick and roll and shoot a fadeaway jumper every almost every play. Their their whole sharing the ball that happens usually in the first half just kind of disappears at some point during the game. And you got to wonder how much of that is the players and how much of that is the coaching. Yeah, in that Dallas game, Jimmy Butler showed up to play. He had... 26 points on 18 shots, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. But the Bulls missed Dwayne Wade in that game, big time. They committed 20 turnovers to 10 for the Mavericks. And other than Butler, the team just didn't look like they were really engaged in that game. Robin Lopez and Taj Gibson actually played decently as well. Both of them shot above 50% from the floor. And Lopez got five offensive rebounds in that game. But the difference between their previous night against the Cavs and the next game against the Mavericks, I don't think can be entirely attributed to just not having Wade, even though I'm sure that played a huge factor, especially with how they couldn't hold on to the ball and weren't playing well together. Rondo had more turnovers than field goal attempts in that game. And he also shot 25% from the floor. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That is that is great A Rondo um, just crapping the bed after, you know, trying to show, put on a show on national television. And you also got to look at the supporting cast. I think the bench has lost the battle uh, of, of scoring against another team's benches of 12 out of the last 13 games from, from the last, what I last read. And they're just, when the bench is inconsistent, when they're all inconsistent, at the same time, you can lose by 25 to Dallas because Jimmy can't carry this team alone. And Jimmy showed up for every single game this year and has been playing out of his mind. And not being able to surround him with some consistency is, is, is the reason these games happen. All right, let's talk about um, one one more game before we move on to the last section of this, uh, you wanted to talk about the Derrick Rose return game to the United Center, where the 
Bulls lost by 13 to the Knicks, which, as the Knicks continue to play better and better, that loss looks more and more respectable. Rose only scored 15 points on 16 shots, but Carmelo Anthony played decently well, and Kristaps Porzingis played incredibly in that game. Yeah, I think this is when Rose figured out he should just be running pick and rolls with Chris Tapps, Brzingis, and passing on the ball the entire time. Um, this was the highest, um, I think this was the, the biggest ticket for the Bulls this year. Um, I think the highest prices for tickets. Um, there was a, just a really weird atmosphere. I went to this game, and it was my the, the game I was looking forward to most out of all uh, of the games this year. And Because uh, I, I really wanted to see how the United Center, how Chicago would win treat the return of Derek and uh, Joaquin Noah. So I, I wanted to talk about this just is it literally was just an incru- incredibly strange experience. They ended up uh, announcing the the starting lineups. They announced Joaquin Noah and the crowd gave a you know, huge cheer. And they announced Derek Rose and it was full on like 80 over 80% of the crowd boos. And I personally was shocked by this. I really couldn't understand why 80% of this crowd was fully on booing Derrick Rose. I I really did not expect that to happen. I kind of expected it to be a mixed bag. But then things got weirder. The game started, and the ball was passed to Derrick Rose. The crowd started booing again, like like they were booing LeBron James when he touches the ball. And that's when the crowd just started getting really strange. People, There's probably a decent amount of people in the crowd who were for, really for, pro uh, Derrick Rose. I'm still a pro Derrick Rose guy. I don't like a lot of the stuff he said in the media, but I, I think he gave a lot to Chicago, and I'm always going to be on the Derrick Rose camp. But I wasn't really happy with the boos, but other people were livid. Some people started yelling at other people who were booing Derrick Rose. Other people started wildly cheering Derrick Rose when he got the ball. And the atmosphere in the United Center was just in, just the strangest like tension that I, I just don't think I've ever experienced during a basketball game, let alone any Bulls game, ever. And then the first timeout happened, and they cut the lights, and they get, they did like a five-minute tribute to Joe Kim Noah and Derrick Rose, and everybody cheered after that, and the, and the tension kind of left the uh, the building, though when Derrick Rose turned the ball over and got blocked, there was some extra cheering here and there. But to me, I, I just never experienced any attention in a building like that, of their fans against your own fans. And um, it was just really, really surprising. It was a unique experience. Uh, yeah, maybe the fact that the fans were booing Rose every time he touched the ball led to him getting by far his season high in assists with eleven. Maybe that he was just you know passing the ball around trying to try to get rid of the boos. But I also really did not understand that, especially since Rose was traded. It's not like he, you know, native son of Chicago, gave up on the Bulls and you know, mercenarily left to the Knicks in free agency. He was traded. Yeah. And that just made it even more confusing for me. It was incredibly strange. I think the media has always been just obsessed with Derrick Rose, and I think a lot, the media has a lot to blame with that. And it's not like Derrick Rose has said the smartest things when being asked questions over since his injury. But you can't blame a guy for his injuries, and you can't blame a guy for being traded. So just a really strange experience. All right, let's move on into talking about fantasy basketball. And speaking of plugs, um, Mike does the Watching the Boxes pod for the hashtag Basketball Network, so you should really check that out when you get a chance. But this is my first season playing fantasy basketball. I know very, very little. so. When you're doing your box score watching and repeat plug, watching the boxes, check it out on iTunes, what do you look for when you're sort of going through the day's box scores? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the most important thing is when you're playing fantasy basketball, and I played, uh, man, I, I don't know if I want to I played fantasy basketball probably for 15 years. I'm early adopter, I've just always been a huge NBA guy. And uh, one of the things... If you really want to understand what's going on, you got to watch the games. But then my theory became, well, you can't watch all the games. That doesn't make any sense. But every day when I go to work or I was at school back in the day, um, I'd go through the box scores. And 
they give you a good insight into what the what rotations are and what the league is is kind of doing. So first and foremost, the most important thing about fantasy basketball is playing. And so understanding the rotations of each one of these teams and seeing how people are playing is probably the most important thing. And then you and then you have your mid tier type players. And those are the guys I always focus on. And so if you listen to watching the boxes podcast, I mostly focus on guys who are probably ranked somewhere between fifty and hundred and fifty. And you know your superstars are going to be good. You know you know the player. You know um, Russell Westbrook's great. That should be pretty obvious. You know uh, Kyle Lowry's great. But um, when it comes to a player like Damari Carroll, um, how is he playing? What is he doing? So first off, I, I see how often, you know, what his minutes are. And then I just kind of look at his consistency. And most importantly, I look at guys, their ability to get steals and blocks because those are rare categories in fantasy basketball. And so if your steals and blocks are good, if you're kind of an unknown type uh, of guy, so it's my person, but uh, their ability to get steals and blocks bumps them up. Um, their proficiency to, uh, to to hit threes is also pretty important as well. So each night I kind of just go through the box scores and list the things that I've noticed out of this particular night of, of games and the trends I've been seeing over the last week or two and just got kind of guys who you might want to pick up, who you might want to take a flyer on, and guys who you might not be that good or or might be able to make an early guy. I was considering something Paul Gasol was a top, I think, 30, 35 player last year, and he's dropped into um, the drop zone, which is what I call the area between maybe you pick him up, maybe you don't. You, he could be on a waiver wire. He could be on the end of the bench. You got to take in, you know, playing how often they're playing, their their consistency, and really their potential. Their what's their ceiling? And Paul Gasol's ceiling is pretty high, but his playing time is pretty um, scattered. And you know, Popovich doesn't give a crap about sitting someone like Paul Gasol, and so that hurts his value. And so, so like guys like that, say, hey, you know, maybe you consider dropping him if there's if there's better guys on your waiver wire. So I know a lot of leagues play uh, different rules and different settings. I myself am a, a nine cat roto guy. I think that is the purest way to play, and that's the way I've been playing probably since I started. Um, but you know, there's tons of head-to-head leagues, and that takes a little bit of different strategies. So I often go into strategies between the different uh, kind of try to tell you if you're in a bigger league or a smaller league, or if you're in the head-to-head, what you should be looking for, and kind of try to mold my analysis into all the various types of ways people play. So what what kind of what kind of league are you currently in? Uh, I'm currently in the hashtag basketball uh, fantasy league. We have mm-hmm. a we have a league among the among the writers for hashtag basketball. Um, you know, I'm I'm doing all right so far. I'm <laughs> right in the middle currently. But one thing that I thought would would be interesting to think about: how do you decide between guys who maybe play a smaller number of minutes, but tend to be proficient in their specialties during those minutes versus guys who might get a bunch of minutes, but maybe don't play as much, uh, you know, handle the ball as much or put up as many statistics. And the thought experiment I wanted to go through for that would be, and granted he's injured right now, but say you're trying to decide between someone like Andrew Bogut, who you who's usually starting but isn't playing more than 20 minutes a game most of the time and gets good block numbers and good rebound numbers and is a decent assist man for a center but doesn't really put up much else. How would you compare someone like Bogut to someone like, say, Luol Deng, who is the nominal starter for the Lakers and gets decent minutes but isn't really shooting the ball that much and other than maybe a few breakout performances, doesn't tend to do much in the box score beyond a few points and a few rebounds per game? So yeah, that's a good question. Um, I really try to stick with consistency. So even though I said, you know, minutes per game is the most important uh, stat in fantasy basketball, even though it's not really taken into account, it still matters how you're playing on the court. And uh, someone like Bogut, I know he's had a knee injury, but if you're in a head-to-head league, uh, I don't terribly like Bogut in Roto Leagues because in Roto Leagues, you kind of need to go all the way across the board. 
the fact that he's, you know, usually averaging, um, you know, about five, six points a game isn't terribly great. But he does do a, a lot of other things uh, fairly well. And um, a guy who can get you, I'm just going to go by his last season's numbers. In, uh, in short minutes, in 20 minutes last season, he was averaging seven rebounds and one and a half blocks. So in a head-to-head league, those are those are money points. You know, seven rebounds is really solid. One and a half blocks is, is better than good. So those types of uh, of players, I, I think in a head-to-head league, they they hold more value. And obviously, if you're in a certain punting strategy, they they hold even a higher value. But with Luol Deng, his consistency is that he's consistently mediocre. And though lately he, he actually in the last couple of weeks, he's been playing a little bit better because uh, the Lakers have been kind of a, a little bit of a weird team this year. But overall, you want you want consistency day in and day out. And that, that's how I usually play. I know there's some guys who are very streaky and their averages uh, kind of make them an okay player. And I can understand that kind of strategy too. But to me, I need a streaky guy and uh, or I need a non-streaky guy. And Luol Deng, his future is isn't LA. Like LA's future is not relying on Luol Deng, and he only gives you mediocre stats across the board instead of um, giving you a specialty like someone like uh, Andrew Bogut, giving you really good blocks and really good rebounds. So I'd, I'd much prefer a Bogut in uh, over a Luol Deng in in that type of situation. Uh, it kind of almost makes them even if you if you move into a roto league. So Roto League, if you have someone like Mo Harkless who doesn't do anything great, but he's pretty good at everything and not just you know mediocre or bad at everything like Will Deng is, uh, Mo Harkless to me is worth way more than someone like uh, Andrew Bogut, even though Andrew Bogut's going to you know, have pretty solid uh, rebounds. Or like someone like John Henson. John Henson uh, can average two, two and a half blocks per game, uh, even playing in limited minutes. But he's not really doing much else and Mo Harkless does something across the board. So in Roto Leagues, I do per- particularly like guys who do stuff across the board uh, versus specialties, but in head-to-head, specialties have their, their, their usage as well. All right, anything else you want to go over before we wrap up? No, that's uh, that's really it. Thanks for uh, having me on. You can, um, you can Everybody can check me out on Twitter at WatchTheBoxes. If you want to bother me about fantasy basketball stuff or about the Bulls. All right, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. As Mike said, you can find him at Watch the Boxes on Twitter. You can also find the Watching the Boxes podcast. You can find me on Twitter at NBA underscore Johnson. If you have any feedback, please leave a rating or and or review on iTunes. Please also feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or feedback about this pod or any of the other pods we've put up so far. Also, check out the hashtag basketball website, hashtag basketball.com. And thanks so much for listening.